0: Why don't you take a moment and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Today we're going to be talking about the long struggle to break down barriers between people. Just a mile and a half away from the church building is a cemetery, and in that cemetery is the grave of Thaddeus Stevens. Many know Thaddeus Stevens in this area, the name Thaddeus Stevens simply from the technical school which uh, is in here in town on East King Street. That school is named after a man who served as a Republican, radical Republican congressman during the tumultuous years surrounding the American Civil War. Stevens, uh, again, part of the radical Republicans, was doggedly against uh, slavery, and his, uh, his whole political career was aimed at ending slavery and advancing the principle of his life, which was equality of man before his creator. Uh, in fact, the reason that Stephen's uh, tomb is where it is, he has been laid to rest, not in a church, sec- uh, a, a church cemetery, Uh, because the churches of that day uh, still were practicing uh, a prevailing segregation. No, he's buried in Shriner Concord Cemetery, um, and the reason he's buried there is because it allowed for the burial of all ethnicities. Um, I was born in the deep south in Atlanta, Georgia. Born in the Bible Belt, Nearly a hundred years uh, after Thaddeus Stevens died. I was raised in the same town that Martin Luther King Jr. was. In fact, I was born three years after his death. Martin Luther King was the great civil rights leader whose words, uh, whose life, and even his death continues to inspire our generation towards. Reconciliation and the breaking down of barriers. What's interesting is that many of the opponents of Martin Luther King were church folks. 26 years ago, at this time of year, across an ocean in the middle of uh, of the African continent, we around the world were brought into a 100-day atrocity that has been known and called the Rwandan Genocide. During that 100 days, over a million people were murdered, largely from the same ethnic group, the Tutsi. The horrible irony of this tragedy is that The overall population, regardless of ethnicity, ethnic, tribal group, but the overall uh, population of Rwanda was 93% Christian. Barriers exist, invisible barriers that are as real as walls. Now these barriers don't have to be so dramatic or so horrifying in order to mandate our attention. When I was at the University of Georgia, I played football for them, and I have a vivid memory of a dramatic line of demarcation between the black players on our team and the white players on our team. This was most obvious in the dining hall when uh, literally the entire uh, room would be segregated, not because anyone was forcing it, just simply because. And it felt normal to us who had been raised in the South. That's the scary thing. I remember one time a defensive lineman who had come to the University of Georgia. He was highly touted as one of the uh, premier high school Uh, defensive lineman. He signed with the University of Georgia. Uh, His uh, last name was Williams. He was an African-American young man. Uh, But I remember he didn't last long. And the reason was, is coming from Colorado into the Deep South, he just really was not prepared for the racial issues that still existed. So many years not only after the end of slavery, but even past the great civil rights movement. Why is it that in the Bible Belt, why is it that in a country that is 93% Christian, why is it that in a Christian nation like the United States that there is such a barrier between those who are different. Why why does not the presence of the Christian church automatically lead to harmony, where the the overall population would claim obedience and uh, would claim allegiance to Jesus Christ? Why is it that we are so divided? Well, this is the important question that we're gonna be tackling over the next few weeks. You know, it would be nice for us if we could point to other religions, or other philosophies, or people, perhaps, we even point to atheists uh, and say, you know what? These divisive issues, that's their problems, but that's not the way it is. It's as true for ourselves as it is for anyone else. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and recognize that the seeds of horrible prejudice and atrocities exist even within the hearts of God's people. And these seeds are not rooted out simply by people coming and being converted to Christ. These seeds, these prejudices, have to be worked out in people's real lives. And so how are we to deal with this? How are we to deal with this reality where you have obvious, divisive, ungodly, ugly division within the same body, within the same community where you have people worshiping Jesus together? The God who created all of these distinctions. Well, some have dealt with it by leaving the church. Simply saying that the church is irrelevant and hypocritical. Others have, and I would say probably in this case, most others have simply decided to live with it as if nothing can be done and just live with that awful tension. Uh, they have become content with a Christian community which is largely cut along natural sociological boundaries so that it can be said that the most segregated hour still in the United States is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. So those are two ways to deal with this awful reality. First, leave the church. Second, just accept it. It is what it is. I prefer, and I commend to us, that we lean into a long and beautiful struggle to root out this prejudice within the church. It is a long and beautiful struggle to understand both God's heart for diversity, but also to understand other people's perspectives and histories and experiences on life. It's a long and beautiful struggle to root out my own prejudices, to see them for what they are, and then to ask forgiveness of those to whom it has been turned against. It is a long and beautiful struggle to acknowledge that justice, true justice, is not only tilted towards the oppressed, but that true justice is good for everyone. And it's a long and beautiful struggle to balance the reality that sin can control the hearts of everyone, oppressed and oppressor. And because sin has that ability to control, it can skew the perspective of what is right. And that's one of the reasons that it is a long struggle but the struggle is beautiful because the end is worthy. I believe that the seed of a unified and diverse church that loves across barriers and seeks to tear down barriers, I believe that that seed is not in the age, the gender, or even the ethnicity of the leadership team of a local church, though it is good to hear from different perspectives and understandings. I don't believe that the seed of a united but diverse church is in the style of worship or even in the style of preaching. I don't think that is what is to bring people together and being united even in our diversity. I believe with my whole heart, that the seed of a united and diverse church is rooted in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is knowing who He is and then following Him. And it is in knowing what He has done and then obeying Him. And when I say knowing, I don't mean just knowing about. I mean knowing Christ and knowing what he has done, and then obeying him and following him. And I believe that this is the seed because it it is in that knowing that we are going to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to press into, to lean into, and to endure through the long, grueling, yet beautiful struggle to see that a united yet diverse church exists. Now, believe it or not, I am going to preach a different kind of message. I am not going to exegete this passage in Ephesians 2, but what I want to do as I come to the end of this message is I simply want to read the text of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, And then I want us to, I want to make a few brief comments. And then I want to give some questions for you to think through for your small group discussion after the message is over. So a lot of the exegesis is going to be done on your own. But we're going to be coming back to this text and then also in Ephesians chapter 3 for the weeks to come. But for right now, let's just read Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and let's just let the words of the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Let's let's read them. Verse 11. Therefore, remember. That at one time, you Gentiles in flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer In him also, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love this passage. I love the vision, the end, the goal of this passage. It's right there at the end. It says that we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A united and diverse church is a place that God gladly dwells in. It is a a temple for Him where praises can be lifted and sins can be confessed and forgiveness can be granted. And God can dwell among us. As we consider barriers, the division between Jew and Gentile, and the word for Gentile in Ephesians chapter 2 is the word ethne, the Greek word ethne, which is sometimes translated nations, and it simply just means non-Jew, that is everybody who is not a Jew, the division between Jew and Gentile was dramatic. Now I say that because we don't really live in a world where we see that as much anymore. You may see it in Brooklyn, New York, you may see it in the nation of Israel, but by and large we live in a Gentile world but when Paul was writing this that division was dramatic it was stark and it was in your face and there was a lot of history behind it the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile was both culturally defined but it was also theologically defined I say that because those barriers had some of their foundations laid in God's Old Covenant. In the Old Testament law, some of the divisions that existed in the first century when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, those barriers were were historically laid as a foundation at Mount Sinai, 1,500 years before when God gave the Old Covenant. But some of those boundaries, some of those barriers that Paul was dealing with in the Jew and Gentile divide was simply based on racism. Simply based on the sin of racism. Now those barriers were the source of much hostility, and that hostility persisted for centuries. In fact that hostility persists to today, even the modern day. Jew versus non-Jew, where the Jewish people uh, flourish and live, there is hostility towards them. And so those barriers were what perpetuated a Separation. But I want you to see that what Paul appeals to for the breaking down on this is not sociological. It's not the appeal that to the basic humanity of Jew and non-Jew that Paul appealed to. Although that is true. We are all made in God's image. But what Paul points to is a theological conviction in the person and work of Jesus Christ that was to remove the hostility, to remove the barriers culturally, theologically, that there was a new covenant that had replaced the old covenant, and these were to remove the barriers. And we see them in verse 13 and 14. And I say that because theology matters. There is a strain of thinking within the Christian church that we want to just have Jesus and no theology, but theology matters because theology defines what we actually believe about Jesus. So let's read verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about the being far off. The Gentiles were far off from the temple, far off from the city of Jerusalem, far off from Zion's capital, and they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is something about the atoning work of what Jesus did on Calvary that brings people that were far off near. And then in verse 14, he says this, For he himself, that's talking about Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now I'm going to get to this in the weeks to come, uh, this imagery that uh, he's talking about here, but what I want you to see is that Paul appeals to the theology of the cross. He appeals to the theology of the God-man, Jesus Christ, in order to break down the barriers between these two diverse groups. They have been brought near. Now, it's interesting. The word near comes from the Greek root word, which actually means to squeeze or to hug. It literally means to hold with a bent arm. So, the beautiful thing there is that the bringing near is a bringing near to God. In an affectionate way, like a like a father would embrace and hold in his child, and as as fantastic and lovely as that imagery is, we sometimes apply that to ourselves individually. But we we and it's okay at one level to do that, but we can't simply do it as individuals because the "you" in that sentence, verse thirteen, is plural, and so there is a plural of people being drawn near here. The imagery here, I think, is really important. It's really the difference between an individual hug and a family hug. My daughter, Savannah, she's six years old. She loves giving and receiving hugs, but she loves more than anything family hugs. And she'll call us all together, and we'll wrap our arms around one another. And there's something beautiful in a family when everybody's huddled together and holding one another, the Jews and the Gentiles were the recipients of that familial embrace. They were the ones who are being brought in to that family hug. Today, We don't think about the Jew and the Gentile divide, but there's plenty of divides that keep us separated from one another as followers of Christ. We Gentiles have our own barriers that keep us far away from one another. And what I want us to think about and imagine in our mind is that God is bringing us near, holding us with bent arms, and is pulling us close to Him. As He's pulling us close to Him, He is pulling us close to one another. And He holds us there. And I think sometimes He holds us there so that we will get close enough to one another that we have to acknowledge the hostility that exists between the diverse people within his family. See, we stay in this embrace of God because it's our only hope with peace before God. But what we find is that he is also the peace between one another. And when we acknowledge that hostility, when we're open to the sin of our own prejudices, and then before Jesus Christ and what he's done for all of his children, we acknowledge our own sin, our own prejudice, and we repent of it. What it does is it brings peace between diverse people, and it unites us. To work against this unity among diverse people within the same family of God is to work against God's plan. And so to resist it, whether it is through passive indifference, oh, this is just the way it always is, or through active, uh, uh, active rebellion against God's plan, I will never hang out with those people. To resist a united and diverse church is to work against the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my friends, to embrace this is to engage in a long and beautiful struggle of seeking reconciliation and unity that is beautiful in that it it portrays a mosaic of God's grace to people of different backgrounds, different sins, different, uh, different desires, and yet he brings us closer together. And along the way, what we'll find is we have, as we embrace this, we'll have the power of God working in us. And we'll have the affirmation of Jesus Christ that we are pursuing what he pursued. So to close this message, I want to just lay before you a vision of Jesus who sought out the woman at the well, who sought out the Gentiles, who sought out the Jews, who sought out the poor, who sought out the wealthy, who sought out the educated, who sought, sought out the blind, who sought out the lame. He sought out people of great grand diversity. I want to lay before you Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you of the words that are inscribed on the tomb of Thaddeus Stevens, a man who, by as best we can tell, never embraced Jesus Christ because the church was so segregated in his day. These are the words that are inscribed on his tomb. I repose in this quiet and secluded spot, not from any natural preference for solitude, but finding other cemeteries limited as to race by their charter rules. I have chosen, that, I've chosen this that I might illustrate in my death the principle which I advocated through a long life. Equality of man before his creator. We are equal before our creator, but we are also equal in that we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So I have three questions for you to talk about in your discussion, and then we're going to pray. First, I want you to think, what barriers do you find in your heart that naturally keep you from other people? What are the prejudices and the barriers in your own heart that keep you from other people? That's number one. Number two, what specifically about the person and work of Jesus Christ confronts you? in your prejudice. And then number three, how does the image of closeness to Christ, bringing you closer to others against whom you may have a natural prejudice, how does that cause you to want to repent? Let's pray and close our service. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, apply.